poof, for people who have the mantra, do your own research, <laughs> let's just say, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> they don't really Ooh. live up to their own expectations, typically. <laughs> <laughs> no, they don't. Hello, and welcome to Tencent Takes, the podcast where we're burned by the limelight, one issue at a time. My name is Jessica Frazier, and I'm joined by my co-host, the meddling mutant, Mike Thompson. I do like to meddle. You do. What's your superpower? What's your mutant ability? Hot gossip. Oh, hot goss. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) How's the tea tonight? Man, I would be the worst telepath because I would just sit there and learn everybody's secrets and then just spread it around the water cooler. It'd be so bad. (laughs) I don't see any problem with that personally. I don't either. I think it's a moral imperative, but, you know, that's just me. (laughs) Well, if you're new to the show, the purpose of this podcast is to celebrate comic books in ways that are both fun and informative. We want to look at their coolest, weirdest, and silliest moments, as well as examine how they're woven into the larger fabric of pop culture and history. And if you're enjoying the show so far and want to help us grow, it would be a huge help if you'd rate and or review us on Apple Podcasts, because that really helps with discoverability. This week, we're going to be doing a deep dive on a subject that was based on actually a couple of episodes back. So in episode 63, we talked about the Marvel four-issue limited series, Beauty and the Beast, starring X-Men's Beast, and Dazzler, who had recently had her own run and one-shot episode. I also previously picked up the first three issues of Dazzler during that amazing moving sale that Outer Planes had over a year ago, the same time that I picked up the Beauty and the Beast series. (laughs) Although, as I mentioned in that previous episode, I didn't realize that it was Dazzler in that limited series at first until I started doing that dive. So that was just a happy coincidence. I still can't believe that I didn't realize it was Dazzler. I can't believe I thought it was Scarlet Witch. And I was just like, whatever. Like, mm. I mean, listen, to be fair, I did expect a little bit more from you. No, just joking. (laughs) (laughs) She has a red dress on one of the covers. (laughs) That's totally fair. That is totally fair. And her hair does have more of like a strawberry blonde kind of vibe in the Beauty and the Beast series. Right. Than it does really in the rest of it. The rest, she's pretty blonde. But we are getting so freaking far ahead of ourselves here, Mike. (laughs) So far. So today, as promised, we are going to be doing a deep dive on Dazzler, a mutant of incredible power and a pop star. Nope. So... We're going to be delving into Dazzler as a character, her creation, her first appearance, her series, and the one-shot Dazzler the movie, along with other places this character can be found. But before we get into all of that, Mike, what have you been reading or watching recently? Okay, so the new season of Star Trek Strange New Worlds is currently airing, and we have known for a while there was going to be a crossover with the animated series Lower Decks which is about to start its fourth season in the fall. But the powers that be dropped the crossover episode by surprise. 
on Paramount Plus after they screened it for fans at San Diego Comic-Con this weekend. And the episode is really fun. Like, really fun. They mash up the animation and the live action. The whole story about how crew members from the Cerritos winding up on the Enterprise is a blast. And it's so goddamn funny. So... Jack Quaid voices Ensign Boimler, and it's hysterical watching him play the character in live action, mainly because his overall vibe is so close to the character. Like, he also plays the character of Huey on The Boys. Okay. And so, like, he has this kind of, like, nervous, nerdy, nebbish energy, and it's great. Tawny Newsom, who plays Mariner, shows up in person, and she is perfect. There are a number of these really sweet poignant moments in the episode two where Mariner and Boimler end up teaching the Enterprise's crew some important lessons thanks to their perspectives of being from the future and like I was so fucking giddy watching this whole thing with Sarah and Sarah's not a Star Trek person but she watches Lower Decks with me and she begrudgingly agreed to check out the episode when she found out the crossover wasn't going to be a cameo she was just like oh it's just gonna be like a cameo where they just kind of show up for a scene I'm like no it's like a whole episode and (laughs) even she was cackling and it turns out Jonathan Frakes, the guy who played Riker, yeah. directed this episode. And Oh, shut know, up. Nice. Yeah. So like once again, he proves that he's like an awesome director with the way that he handled the whole thing. There are so many wonderful in-jokes that I don't want to spoil. And I'm totally watching it again this week, probably twice. But, you know, it's just. Me. Uh, very cool. Very yeah. Cool. Thanks for bringing that. Yeah. So how about you? Well. I went with my friend Moya to see the new Mission Impossible film in theaters. And okay. like, I didn't want to go, but it was his birthday, right? So I was like, well, I guess we're going to see this. Like, I just, I wanted to go see the Spider Man movie for a second time. So I went on a different <laughs> day and did that. But so honestly, I did not have high hopes for this film. But it I definitely had. Impossible. No, it had entertainment value, though, but I'll tell you why. Like, if you're not trying to take the film seriously, it it can be a very funny film. Okay. Because they use the same plot and script points that they have always used. Uh Like, literally from the mission message self-destructing, the countless masks just being ripped off of faces in, like, a dramatic (laughs) reveal. And then just being, like, chucked into the ether like it's not, like you know (laughs) like it's totally not evidence or something okay yeah oh my gosh it was just so funny i honestly i was hysterically laughing the whole whole time and so was my friend i mean we were the only ones laughing to be fair (laughs) like (laughs) you were ruining it for everybody else I mean, we may have been, but, like, honestly, he was like, I told you it'd be entertaining. And, like, it was. And, again, (laughs) as long as you're not taking it seriously. Like, you don't have to see it in the theaters, but, I mean. (laughs) Fair. Yeah. So, ultimately, I did have a good time watching it. And I've now committed to going to see part two because, yes, this was the first part of a, I think, a two-part series. So, it did end on a cliffhanger. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it ended on a cliffhanger, which, whatever, I'll go again. It's fine. It's not a big deal. I Like, especially now that I know it's, like, <laughs> it's like for humor purposes, like, okay, yeah. that's fine. We should do an episode about the original Mission Impossible comic from Marvel when uh, the that next movie fun. comes out. Because I, yeah. Tom Cruise killed that issue dead because he felt that his Ooh. character looked effeminate in one of Ooh. the panels. 
well, I guess we're not going to be asking him to be on the show. Oh, wait, we already weren't. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Tom. (laughs) Sorry. Hashtag not sorry. Not sorry. All right. Well, how do you feel about uh, shining on over to our main topic? Oh, man, this is a doozy. I got thoughts. Oh, yeah, we have we have big thoughts. So this week we're talking about Dazzler. And honestly, the more I learn about this character, the more I like her, but don't like her situation, if that makes sense. Yeah, I could see that. So during our deep dive this week, we'll be discussing her debut comic, a few issues of her titular series, and the graphic novel Dazzler the Movie. We'll also talk about where else this bright character can be found and some potential places we may just see this character in the future? Question mark. Hmm. But before we get to all of that, let's do some resources. I found information from the following websites. So I checked out the Dazzler Wikipedia article along with an article about Allison Blair, Dazzler, on marvel.fandom.com. I used the marvel.com articles about Dazzler on Comic Vine. I used the marveldirectory.com about Dazzler. The TV Tropes article about Dazzler. An article on (laughs) recalledcomics.com about Dazzler and some error variants. That was more for me, but we can talk about that. Oh, interesting. Like, that's actually a really useful resource. I didn't realize there was a recalled issue of Dazzler. Yeah, it was more just an error variant, but Mm. yeah, I'll talk about that a little bit more once we get to our first one. And I actually have one of those, uh, one of the recalled versions, which is cool. I didn't realize it. So an article on sci-fi.com called From Grace Jones to Bo Derek, 40 Years of Marvel's Dazzler. Hmm. An article on themiddlespaces.com titled Is There Anything Left to be Shattered? Reading Dazzler and the Hashtag MeToo Movement by Nicholas E. Miller on April 10th of 2018. Jimshooter.com. The debut of Dazzler, written oh by Jimmy Shoots himself on, oh man, how patriotic, July 4th, 2011. An article on comicsarchaeology.com on Dazzler. Hmm. An article on the website chrisisoninfiniteearths.com about Dazzler. An article called Appreciating the Perfect Ten Beauty of Dazzler, Marvel's First Comic Book Sold Only in Comic Shops. Spoiler. Mm. Comics.org article on Dazzler. An article on IGN.com titled Dark Phoenix's Dazzler Explained. Who is the mutant singer in the X-Men movie? Oh. Hmm. Oh. And 2022's the right year to give this X-Men's Dazzler a comeback. And an article on The Wrap titled Dark Phoenix, Why Dazzler Took 40 Years to Get to the Big Screen. Okay, I know that was a lot of resources. I'm not sorry. I did a lot of research. (laughs) Good. Yeah, there were some sites in there that I have not used. Yeah, I was pretty excited to see all of these different things that other people like. Oh, man, when I saw that Jim Shooter one, I was like, here we go, Jimmy Shoots. Give me the (laughs) infos. 
Now, let's talk a little bit about Dazzler herself, because our girl Dazzler is a blonde-haired, blue-eyed character, but she wasn't always slated to be that way. And in fact, there's a lot about this character that ended up a lot differently than was first intended. The concept of Dazzler was first concocted in the 1970s, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. (laughs) But this character was first published in 1980. It was still being created in the 70s, though, so it makes sense that the, the character is deeply rooted in disco and the roller skating scene. She's got flares all of which yeah. are a pretty clear indication looking back in time that the idea was more than slightly out of place at that point in the early 80s when disco was really dying off. I mean, like, yeah, disco was dying off, but it wasn't dead. If you go back and look at, like, entertainment from that era, like, the 80 to, like, 82 era is still very kind of, like, the last remnants of the 70s. I can see that. It's last gasp. Yeah. So... Back in the 70s, Marvel had big plans to work with Casablanca Records in order to come out with a comic series that had soundtracks to go along with it, which is actually a pretty neat idea and goes really well with Dazzler's character. I know it truly does. Like that actually, that's kind of like Gem and the Holograms a decade before Gem and the Holograms because they would put out like cassette tapes with the dolls if I remember right. Right. So they were actually planning to have a live person singing as yeah, so cool. Dazzler. But that didn't ever take off, unfortunately. Mm. That would have been so cool. Yeah. Well, and this would have been in the 70s when Marvel was like really kind of struggling and trying to just do anything they could as like a gimmick to right. get sales again. So, yeah, they were really grasping at straws. I just wish that they had grasped a little harder on this one. Right. It would have been really neat. So her character ended up being modeled after actor Bo Derek, whose heyday as a blonde bombshell was also in the 70s and early 80s. Yep. <laughs> she wasn't originally supposed to look like this at all. Her character was actually initially inspired by Grace Jones, what? whom John Romita Jr. had seen dancing in discos and nightclubs in the 70s. So we could have had Ooh, a black man. dazzler, which yeah, would have we been so much cooler. That, I mean... It would have been really cool. It would have been really cool. Like, not to knock Allison and how she looks now and all that. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. But, man, that would have been... But we do have a lot of already, like, blonde hair, blue-eyed, like, kind of bombshell characters. And what an interesting twist that would be. Well, and back then, I think the only black X-Men was Storm. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And having her not quite be a part of the X-Men would have been, you know kind of cool you know yeah kind of have her as that outsider character that would have been neat right right and as i mentioned allison blair or dazzler is a mutant and her powers include being able to change sound into light and she's able to concentrate that to make any kind of light she wants including like lasers and you Mm -hmm. know just light in general and blinding light and etc etc and she ends up quote-unquote dazzling those around her with the light show that she naturally produces while she's performing. And it makes a lot of sense that she is drawn to the limelight as her estranged mother was also a performer, although she was tempted into and succumbed to the darker side of that life, becoming a drug addict and subsequently leaving her family. Is it, like, did, father, they, they never revealed that in the issues that we read, right? 
none of the ones we read. Yeah. It's further into the, the storyline. I just right. wanted to give you that picture of it. Yeah, because there's a whole um, bit with her her dad like sitting there and saying something about like, well, you know, your mom, the way that was it like he it's implied that she died suddenly, basically, is how it's presented. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. It's um one of those like she's dead to us situations, more or less, kind mm-hmm. of a thing. So, that makes more sense. Yeah, because like that explains yeah. why he's so adamant that she not pursue music. Okay. Well, and he did not like his wife's he tried to change his wife too. Like he didn't like that she was doing it either. So he's always been right. this way, unfortunately. Yeah. So Allison's father is a hard ass lawyer. He's a he, judge. He's a he judge, a, actually. He is a judge. Sorry, man. he's a judge. <laughs> My bad. No, but, it's like it's one of those things where I'm like, oh, you're totally a judge. Oh yeah. Well, and he, like I said, he hated and barely tolerated Allison's mother's entertainment career and was adamantly against Allison following the same path, trying to lead her instead to go into practicing law, as was his path. Would we call it leading or would we call it forcing? Really forcing. Yeah. It's it's literally like he's sitting there and he's like, congratulations on graduating magna cum laude. Like, you know, I'm so thrilled for you to start the law school in the fall that I chose for you. And I'm like, right, Jesus exactly. Christ. Yeah, it's really rough. Like, she didn't stand much chance there. No. I did appreciate that she graduated magna cum laude, though. Yeah, yeah, she's definitely a smarty pants. Yeah. So Allison's grandmother was more understanding of her dreams, encouraging her granddaughter to follow her dreams. But as a heads up, back to Allison's mother, she does turn back up in the storyline after she's gone through recovery, but Mm. she's ashamed that she had abandoned her family. So she ends up acting as a singing coach that Allison goes to see regularly calling herself Marvel London. Okay. So she pops back in. That's a nice little plot twist. Yeah. 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 That's further in the story. And yeah, I kind of liked it. Dazzler's first appearance, however, wasn't in, of course, her titular comic series. It was actually in the Uncanny X-Men number 130. Mm-hmm. Now, this was published in February of 1980. It was written by Chris Claremont, penciled by John Byrne, inked by Terry Kevin Austin, colors by Glynis Wine, lettered by Tom Orzachowski, edited by Roger Stern, and Jimmy Shoots. He was our... <laughs> He was our editor-in-chief, of course. Yeah. And in this episode, one of the plot lines is that Dazzler, and really the only one we really need to worry about, is that Dazzler is yeah. being sought out by both Professor X and the X-Men, as well as Emma Frost, a.k.a. the White Queen, and her goonies from the Hellfire Club. And they're both using their psionic tools made to find mutants. That's how they all mm-hmm. end up in the same place. Basically, yeah, the Hellfire Club comes in to the club where Dazzler is playing and the X-Men also come in because they've also sensed her there and everything goes into chaos, basically. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's just a whole mess. And she just gets like pissed at the X-Men for interrupting her performance because it was like supposed to be her debut performance. Well, and on top of that, like it's playing into the whole Dark Phoenix saga. It's like kicking that off where mastermind is seducing Jean Grey and we keep on seeing her for like this issue in the next couple she's showing up in like black lingerie it's whatever. right right it's I Which think John Byrne was working out some stuff are like yeah, yeah exactly like there was a lot in that issue that like really truly wasn't necessary to our storyline yeah but Dazzler's like so not 
really a character or or, or she doesn't do anything like throughout this no, entire issue she she like she has one moment yeah, that's why my my description of this was only a paragraph. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Absolutely fair. So, what did you think about this comic as an introduction to Dazzler's character? Ah, uh, I actually own this. I bought it for like $10 in 2003 because, as I mentioned in our Beauty and the Beast episode, I really like the character based on the version that Marvel has been using since like the late 80s. But I haven't yeah. read it since I bought it. And it's like, it's fine. Like Dazzler yeah. is weirdly both the focus of the story, but also not like she doesn't do much. And and it's right. a far cry from who she is now as a character. Like I can't, I can't get over how silly her costume was when they introduced her as a character and how just useless her power seemed at that point in time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I agree. There was quite a lot happening in this comic that I didn't mention because it didn't, again, it didn't really have to do with the Dazzler aspect. Do you think that yeah. Dazzler's first appearance was at all diminished since she wasn't the sole focus of the comic? Oh, yeah. I reread both this and the issues after this on right. Marvel Unlimited. And Dazzler doesn't do much in any of them. Like, she tags along and helps rescue the captured X-Men. But her powers are so limited at this point in time that her big thing is she provides a light show distraction when Cyclops is about to get murdered. Like, it's fine. It's not a lot. The funny thing is that the issues right around this point in time are actually really key issues because Emma Frost and Kitty Pride were both introduced like an issue or two before this. Right. Yeah. So Kitty Pride is playing some pretty big new roles and a lot of the things yeah. that we read for Dazzler and how the X-Men are kind of interlocked into it. Yeah, you know, and same with Emma Frost, who we have discussed ad nauseum in our Firestar episode. And, you know, now she's a member of the X-Men as well. But, you know, these right. days. Yeah. So after debuting in the Uncanny X-Men number 130, like you mentioned, she was in the following issue of the Uncanny X-Men number 131, which was published in March of 1980. She then appeared in the Amazing Spider-Man number 203, as well as Fantastic Four number 217, both published in April of 1980. They were pushing her in. Wow. So they were like really trying to make fetch happen in Mean Girls. Like, Oh, yeah, absolutely. And oof. that's why she's able to call in so many of these other heroes when she right. does get her own series because she's already had these interactions. She's already met the Fantastic oh. Four. Of course, she's already had the interactions with the Uncanny X-Men. But then yeah. Spider-Man, you know, shows up. She shows up in, in Spider-Man. And so then he's able to just kind of quip in. So, you know, yeah. it's they did really set her up well to do a continual series. I didn't realize that they were pushing her this hard. It's really interesting because she seems so goofy with her costume that they had throughout this whole era. And there's a reason why you'll see that she was being pushed so hard and, and we'll get there. Okay. Because this is the point where we've reached Dazzler receiving her own series. And issue number one of Dazzler is titled So Bright This Star, and it was published in March of 1981. There's a note in the front that the idea was conceived by Alice Donenfeld, John Agantha Jr., and Jim Shooter, with the help of hmm. Stan Lee, Al Milgram, Roger Stern, and Tom DeFalco. It was written by Tom DeFalco, penciled by John Romita Jr., inked by Alfredo Alcala, colored by Glynis Wine, lettered by Joe Rosen, edited by Louise Simonson, but she is listed as Jones at that point. Oh, Editor interesting. Editor-in-chief was... Yeah. 
Editor-in-chief was Jim Shooter. And fun fact, this was actually the first Marvel comic to be sold as direct-to-market, which was kind of a big deal at the time. So that's why they were pushing her so hard. That's really cool. So they were just going straight to the comic stores, huh? They were. So uh, Marvel advertised the shit out of it accordingly, which is why she showed up in so many of those comics and why they were pushing her so hard. Now, the experiment proved to be quite the success with Dazzler number one selling 428,000 copies direct to market sales. Yeah. So that basically, for those who aren't familiar, this means that they weren't sending this to newsstands. Right. And the other thing is that specialty stores at that time were kind of a new thing still. It was something that they hadn't really done before. That's really fascinating. And that, exactly. Especially at that era. And so for readers, they could actually physically see that difference because they were no longer seeing a barcode at mm-hmm. the bottom of the comic cover. So if you look back at, if you have Dazzler number one, there's no barcode on it. Yeah. Yeah. So there was also a variant of the Dazzler number one. There was an error variant. Oh, I was going to ask if it was like the Canadian price variant or something. No, it actually, pages 24 and 25 containing advertisements were printed in black and white. Eh, Okay. Yeah, which, I mean, it's a small thing. It's, It's not known how many copies of these were produced like that. And they're thinking that the early copies, the errors were noticed and corrected. Okay. So, yeah, that's just one of the types of the errors. I don't have any information on any types of other errors, but I thought that was really interesting. My copy that I did get from Outer Planes is one of those variant copies. Oh, that's with so the cool. Black and white. Yeah, so I thought that was interesting when I pulled that up and I was reading through it. I was like, well, look at that. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Like, I love error variants. They're so much fun. It's so interesting, right? Like one of my prized possessions is a slabbed copy of Ravage number one, where they the the printer just they didn't apply the the gold kind of chrome on it or the gold foil. Oh. And so it's just it's a pure white cover for Dang. for like where the gold is supposed to be. Wow. Like I, that's I love cool. that shit. All right, Mike, let's let's get into the meaty bits, the plot. Okay. <laughs> the so- plot in air quotes. Yeah, exactly. So we start issue number one off with Dazzler being chased by some ruffians who jump out of a limo. She gets cornered and takes a moment to put on her magnetic roller skates, which chef's kiss to that. Oh, I loved that. I loved it so much. Oh my God. They attach to her shoes. It's amazing. Should we talk for a moment about how you and I have a deep and abiding love for quad skates? Oh, yes, we do. That's a great idea. I'm like, what? how could I forget? <laughs> my bad. Yes, I'm... Like, honestly, if we weren't recording tonight and I didn't have D&D, I would be at Adult Skate. <laughs> True story. My, with my yeah. light-up wheels and everything. <laughs> I, I need to get some light-up wheels. I just I have, like, heavy-duty quad skates because I used to referee roller derby for five exactly. years. So, yeah. Was, Mine no, are just for funsies. No, for I wasn't refereeing roller derby when we met because I think I just quit. No. I, yeah, no, I, you weren't, you weren't yeah. doing that at that point. Yeah, I, I, I just quit when Sarah and I started dating so yeah okay okay so she starts playing music on her tiny radio and commences Mm -hmm. a private light show for the ben who were very dazzled indeed and spidey happens to be around to trolling and sees the light and goes to investigate while dazzler is truly holding her own in the fight 
That is, until her tiny radio is hit by a stray bullet. (laughs) And her music stops, thus interrupting her vibes and cutting off her lights. Mm -hmm. Right when the men were about to get her, Spidey swoops in and catches them, as well as webbing the getaway car with, uh, with the other goon trying to get away. Once the villains are in the spider net dangling from a street light, Spidey asks what they were after, and Dazzler explains that she had gotten talked into a 0% royalty arrangement, and the goons were being yeah. sent from her manager since her career wasn't doing so I thought so that was hot. actually kind of funny. I liked that. Yeah. <laughs> so, her poor struggles with money. Yeah. She heads home, which is a pretty nice place overlooking the Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah, though- like... It's With fine. An empty fridge. It's got a nice view. I will give you that. It has a yeah. very nice view. I mean, these days, a place like that would be going for a lot of money, but that's just because New York is out of control. Yeah. And she's there thinking about her seemingly doomed career and looking for other options. She's also thinking about the fact that she hasn't told her father about her powers and He's already not happy with her since she had moved to the city to pursue her singing career instead of following his desired path for her and a mirror of his own career, like we talked about, lawyering. Mm -hmm. So feeling sad and overwhelmed, Allison decides to call her new friend and X-Men, Aurora, also known as Storm. Oh my god, the scene. The scene. (laughs) So they're at the Charles Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters, and Storm, Wolverine, and Colossus, and Nightcrawler are... In a training sequence with Kitty Pride watching, she's not allowed to join because she's too young still. Yeah. And Kitty interrupts the training to tell Aurora that she has a phone call. And of course, it was Allison. Aurora asks if she had considered quitting her singing career and joining the X-Men, which is like not what Dazzler wants to I hear love, at all. I love, I was telling Sarah about the scene. I'm like, you're not going to like, <laughs> it's just, it's. Wild. Dazzler's like, that is like, like, I think Dazzler might have a little bit like a pathological demand avoidance where she heard that and she's like, you could fuck off immediately. She's like, no, the singing career is going great. I would never give it up. It's like, girl. (laughs) She doubled down so hard. Hard. Uh, So we get a flashback about. Dazzler, you know, being discouraged by her father from singing with her grandmother encouraging her like we had talked about before. We also get a recap of the situation from the first time that she had dazzled everyone into blindness and discovered her powers when she was at a high school dance. And at the same time, vowing to no longer wanting to use her powers. So she studies hard. She goes through a pre-law program. She graduates, like you said, magna cum laude, with her father having already chosen law school for her to attend. And she's like, no, dad, I don't think so. I'm going to be true to myself. I'm going to follow the path and be a performer. Which, like, I don't know about how law school worked back then, (laughs) but I've seen Legally Blonde. I feel like I've got a general idea of how the applications (laughs) to law school work. Like, I don't think that works that way where it's like, oh, you're going to law school and I chose the one that you're going to. I don't, I think there's some things like the LSATs that you have to take and I don't know. No, listen, it's called nepotism. I guess. (laughs) So she develops a whole look, a costume and a name, Dazzler. Meanwhile, in Asgard, because why not, right? Oh my God, yeah. (laughs) This whole thing. We see a guy battle a bunch of ogres and then goes to gaze upon the woman he'd been fighting to get to, the Enchantress, Amora, enchanting and seducing men and with powers to boot. 
She changes the man into a tree so that he can forever worship her. <laughs> Which he said just was what his... he wanted to do. He was exactly. like, I just, I just want to worship you. And so she's like, well, fine. <laughs> man, it's a real uh, genie's wish situation, if you know what I yeah. mean. So after she's settled that, she goes to her fountain of forever in which she can see visions of the future. She sees that there is about to be a cosmic axis, which she describes as a rift in the fabric of reality and unleashing power, power that the Enchantress wants to possess. She sees a vision of what the reader would know as a disco in Midgard or Earth and starts hatching a plan to get there for this event. Which, okay, like, <laughs> fine. Right, exactly. Great. Welcome to Earth, I guess. So, back on Earth, Beast is at the Avengers headquarters. He sees a newspaper article, and after nearly getting into a physical altercation with the Wasp, decides to go find Dazzler to tell her about the article he saw. He's so such he, an like, asshole, man. Like, I can't. He creeps up to her window, too. Newspaper. Oh, yeah. Total creep. And. Yeah. It's all about how a disco is looking for a new singer since theirs had fallen ill. And so she heads to the audition with her full makeup and jumpsuit look. And the Enchantress is already auditioning, enchanting her audience in order to gain their favor. It was definitely working, too. That is, until Dazzler gets up to perform. And she sweeps the crowd off their feet with her song and light show. So they decide to go with Dazzler for the singing role, and we leave off with the Enchantress being incredibly salty and swearing that she would make Dazzler pay for this. I did actually really like that, but that's beside the point. Like, she's mad. I like that. I do like that she's mad that, like, yeah, <laughs> that she got passed over for an audition. Yeah. <laughs> How dare they choose her over me? <laughs> So issue number two was published in April of 1981 and was titled Where Demons Fear to Dwell, written by Tom DeFalco, penciled by John Romita Jr., inked by Alfredo Alcala, colored by Kay Klaxak, edited by Louise Simonson, editor-in-chief was Jim Shooter. We start our issue off with Dazzler about to make her first appearance at the prestigious New York City disco Numero Uno, totally real yeah. club. And battling with some mean stage fright, as well as feeling guilty that her father is disappointed that she turned her back on practicing law. And thinking at the same time that although the Enchantress had stated that she would be back, she probably didn't have anything to worry about. Foreshadowing. Mm -hmm. We then see the Fantastic Four, the Uncanny X-Men, and the Avengers all enthusiastically getting ready to go to Dazzler's premiere. Numero uno, the crowd is star-studded and Dazzler takes the stage. But we see that not only are her friends there, but a new enemy, the Enchantress. She goes backstage to use her powers on Dazzler, but can't go full ham as she doesn't want to disrupt the dimensional access. So Okay, like, Peter yeah, I was like, whatever. I know, for why? Like, how do you know? It's like, I don't know, girl. Maybe, uh, maybe, like... <laughs> Like, couldn't you just wait until afterwards? I don't, whatever. Okay. Right. Exactly. Peter Parker's spider senses start tingling as, on the stage, Dazzler starts to feel strange. And she starts to grow more and more withered and older. Our heroes in the audience, knowing that at the rate she's aging, she only has a few seconds before she would die. 
But Dazzler focuses on the disco ball, which is, after all, a bunch of mirrors. And with laser precision, she blasts the Enchantress, disrupting and reversing her spell. But she knows that the last blast has taken all of her light energy from her. Meanwhile, all of the other heroes are in the bathroom stalls. Legit one of changing... my favorite scenes. Oh, my favorite. It's absolutely hilarious. They're all changing into their outfits. But there's no room for Peter in the bathroom. He got there too late. So he <laughs> slips up into the ceiling and he yeah. like changes in there. Yeah, no notes. So back on the stage, Dazzler was hanging in there, but barely roller skating to avoid the barrage of power being thrown her way by the Enchantress. The gang is finally suited up and joins the tussle with the Enchantress, calling more ogre guys from Asgard to even up the fight a little bit and act as a barrier from herself. So, while the heroes are distracted by the Enchantress's minions, she is getting closer to the dimensional rift that is forming on the stage, just as she had predicted, which was the reason that she had wanted the singing position to begin with. So, a giant demon starts coming through the rift, of course. So Dazzler rolls over and absorbs all of the energy around her, which, of course, was a ton because of the rift. Mm -hmm. And she blasts her light power at him, sending him back into the rift and effectively closing it early. The Enchantress is pissed. She tells all her ogre goons to stop fighting. They all vanish back to Asgard. (laughs) She is so salty at this point. So Dazzler is also super upset that her big debut is ruined and believes that her entertainment career is over. This is a common theme. The rest of the heroes let her go be by herself to process everything. But as she's leaving, this guy literally pops out from under a table and hands her a business card, telling Mm -hmm. her that he's a music publisher and that his friend Harry Osgood represents a lot of talent and to give him a call. So she gratefully accepts the card. The next week, all of the heroes come and pick her up in the Avengers jet and take her to see Harry Osgood. However, she didn't make an appointment. She's just like, yeah. showing up. Yeah. And the secretary is like, no, I'm not letting you in. You don't have an appointment. Mm-hmm. And so then the beast jumps into the room. He distracts the secretary long enough. The dazzler gets into Osgood's office. He's not even going to talk to her except outside of his window. All of the <sighs> heroes are like watching. Yeah, it's weird. And they're like, give her a chance. Let her sing. Yeah, it's so weird. And then the thing gets carried away and like breaks the window. Yeah. It's like, whatever. And so they're like, you should let her audition. And then she does. And Osgood agrees to sign her on to his label, stating that the cost of the window is coming out of her first paycheck. But they're still real happy about it. And I'm like, I don't know, man. A high rise window full of safety glass. That seems like it'd be a lot of money, but okay. I don't know. I think maybe, I don't know, the millionaire should pay for it. Tony Stark. I don't know. He's right there. Whatever. Man, she needs a bailout. Cap, get the government to do something about it. Oh, we only bail out corporations. Just kidding. Don't worry. These do get shorter. (laughs) (laughs) Issue number three is titled The Jewels of Doom. It was published May 1981, written by Tommy DeFalco, penciled by John Romita Jr. and A. Kupperberg, inked by D. Bullandotti and A. Gill, colored by Bob Sharon, lettered by Joe Rosen, edited by Louise Simonson, and what is listed as Tall Person <laughs> as the editor in chief, Jim Shooter. 
We start our issue off with Dazzler at the Fantastic Four headquarters, having been roped into a test of her powers. And she's told that she's much more powerful than Reed had initially thought and is given the warning that she should not overexert herself. The Human Torch notices a newspaper article talking about how the crown jewels that had once belonged to Dr. Doom were going to be put on display by the United Nations. And the reader is reminded that Dr. Doom used to be the monarch of Varia, a small Bavarian country. And we get information about how Prince Zorba had led a successful revolution, pushing Doom from his place of power in that country and sending him into hiding. But the speculation is that this exhibit will draw him into public once more. It will. (laughs) Spoiler. Spoiler, it does. At the UN, the Latvian ambassador, Dr. Arturo Franzen, I really thought that was Fraser when I first read it. I got really excited, but it's Franzen, is thinking about how in the hold the Latvian government is at this point, with Zorba running it into the ground. He's also plotting about how many countries would welcome him with these riches, but notices that one of the jewels has a different sort of glow about it, almost like it has a life of its own. Back to our girl Dazzler, who has a meeting scheduled with her agent Osgood, who informs her that he has gotten her a gig playing at the UN. She's like, hey, how much does it pay? He's like, it doesn't. It's a charity event and it's for PR. (laughs) That was not the news she was looking for since she was two months behind on her rent. Yep. She's also assigned to work with this total tool belt named Lancelot Steel. (laughs) That doesn't tell you everything you need to know. Who makes it incredibly clear right away that he expects her to quote-unquote obey him, which vomit. If I didn't have the ick before, I sure as shit do now. So, a disappointed Dazzler decides it's time to go home and confront her father about her secret. Her grandmother is ecstatic, and her father is also very happy to see her, but only because he thinks that she's home because she's quote-unquote come to her senses (laughs) and has given up her singing career to go back to law. He tells her that she is wasting his time if she isn't home to stay. And she says that she won't make the mistake of coming back again. Yeah. And this is why parents don't get visited in old people homes. (laughs) Wow. That got real. (laughs) This is why your kids cut you off. Like that's, that's a whole thing on TikTok right now is it's like basically someone being like, I don't understand why children wouldn't come visit their elderly parents in a home. And then people are like, yeah, I I grew up with really shitty parents. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Growth, growth goes both ways. And, Mm -hmm. you know, abuse comes in many forms, you know, and your kids don't owe you anything. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. They don't owe you anything because you decided to bring them into this world. That would, You decided that. Okay, I'm getting off of my soapbox before I make this too dark. <laughs> All right, so at this moment, not in my world, but in Dazzler's, in the Bavarian Alps, Dr. Doom has a very sciencey experiment interrupted with the information that his crown jewels are going to be displayed at the UN building. But that also includes in his gems... The Merlin Stone. And this is what really lights a fire under him. And he starts to make preparations to go to the UN building where the UNICEF concert is happening. 
And Franzen is working on taking the crown jewels off of their hands as well, but of course dressed like a gang of punk rockers. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. It's very yeah. weird. It's like, it's not even like punk rockers. It's like, I That's don't what know. They say. The exact quote is, we'll dress like a gang of punk rockers. And I know, know but I'm, I'm just sitting there and I'm like, first of all, no, you don't look like punk rockers. You look like extras from the Warriors. They do. Yes, that is true. That is true. I, I can't. I can't with it. <laughs> so they gain access to the back door of the stage by bribing the security guards placed there, like super easily, by the way. No, I hold on. You know who they look like? <laughs> they look like backup band members for Adam Ant. Oh, yes. Like yes. they've got like the face paint that and shit. It. Like, so, sorry yeah. to interrupt, but like it just hit me. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, very, yes, valid, valid addition. So the backup singers for Adam Ant, they gain access to the back door of the stage by bribing that security guard. At another part of the venue, Lancelot is being his pushy self, bursting into Dazzler's green room and barking that she needed to be ready on time, which, man, that would not go over well with me. And after he heads out, he, man, karma just smacked him in the ass right here because he runs into the goons and Dazzler hears him shout and she's a lot nicer than I probably would be. She Mm -hmm. races out with her roller skates on and her minio radio turned up and she starts battling the goons as the concert starts, covering the sounds of the struggle. Of course, it's very convenient. Osgood is also wondering where Dazzler was because she was due to be on stage soon. So she takes care of the men with her light show, but gets word from Lancelot that they had been talking about the jewels. So she races off to check on the exhibit. So she's able to subdue Franzen and his goons with her lights. And she is struck down when she leaves the room, having been blasted with power from Dr. Doom. Like, why does this dude keep showing up? <sighs> yeah, right. Exactly. So Osgood's pissed. He basically says that Dazzler will no longer be performing for the show or ever again since she had dipped out. And the Human Torch is in the audience intending to surprise Dazzler with his presence, which is so fucking precious, I guess. Because he's obviously a pretty big deal. I hate that guy. He's incredibly full of himself. And Doom doesn't harm Dazzler, but instead says that he saw that she was one of the performers and that kept him from leaving her in the same unconscious state as the others in the room. Mm-hmm. For some reason, Dazzler seems to be pretty impressed by him. Uh, and yeah, Doom okay. tells her to stay out of his way, which is yeah, strange. He monologues at her about the significance of the Merlin stone. Ugh, of course, he's mm-hmm. got to have someone to talk to, right? So we find out that the Merlin stone can make its owner invincible and about how he had sent the Fantastic Four to get it from the past and that the acquisition of this particular jewel could lead him to others and endangering the world. So she shouts that she isn't going to let him do that. She blasts him with the light. However, Dr. Doom had special lenses in his mask and they blocked the light from getting to him. He also starts yelling about how he expects blind obedience. It's so gross. Mm -hmm. She uses her power to send a laser, trapping and hitting Doom and knocking him over. But as she thinks she is going to be victorious, Doom turns on his additional power packs, of course, and shoots power at her, KOing her. And he takes Dazzler and the Merlin Stone on his getaway hover device and flies away. And that's the end of the issue. Yeah. Yeah. 
that happened. As you've noticed, this one's only like a paragraph long <laughs> instead of being like six. So we're, we are getting shorter here. Don't worry, everyone. So issue number four is titled Here Nightmares Abide and was published in June of 1981, written by Tom DeFalco, penciled by Frank Springer, inked by Bolandi and Gill, colors by R. Slifer, letters by Joe Rosen, edited this time by Danny Fingeroth, and editor-in-chief was still Jimmy Shoots. So in this issue, we pick up right where we had left off with Dr. Doom taking Dazzler to his hideout on his little hoverboard situation. So he threatens her, and then he forces her to go to another dimension with the task of picking up the other Merlin stone that he mm-hmm. knows is there. And if he has both, he'll be so fucking powerful, you know. While she's there, she's attacked by these creatures that were like algae that's alive, and it like was trying to absorb her, and she shined her light using the sound of the universe, since her radio is no longer broadcasting, since she's in a different dimension. I thought that was a good touch. I actually liked that. I thought that was kind of a neat development for her power set, where it's like, oh, well, I can I can access the sounds that like everything is making. And I'm like, oh, that's cool, because it's like yeah, tapping into the like idea of like- sounds. Yeah, and harmonic resonance and all that. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. I like yeah. that. Yeah. So she blasts away the creatures. She's then met with an evil dark version of herself, which she bests, and then was confronted with another villain named Nightmare, who was in possession of the other Merlin stone. So Mm -hmm. she also bests him by blasting him with light, and Dazzler takes the other Merlin stone back through the portal to Doctor Doom's lair. The stone falls out of her hand when she gets through the portal and Dr. Doom retrieves it, basically telling Dazzler that she's done her job and now she can continue serving him. But she's pissed (laughs) and that he's not like taken her into consideration, I guess. She's like, what about me? I don't know. It was kind of a weird thing. But she had gone through all of this trouble so that he didn't have to. And she's really pissed about that piece of it, too. So she decides... To make a break for it, setting the guard robots against each other. And while all of this was happening, the Human Torch had been looking for Dazzler, of course, since she was missing. So he finds the lair and lifts Dazzler as Doom ends up getting away. So, issue number five. It was titled, Tell Joey I Love Him. (laughs) Or... Even with not-so-great power comes great responsibility. Written by Tom DeFalco, penciled by Frank Springer, inked by Ricardo Villamonte, lettered by Joe Rosen, colored by Don Warfield, edited by Danny Fingeroth, and editor-in-chief was, of course, Jimmy Shoots. Dazzler starts off this episode being put in the hospital because she's having what we would now identify as some pretty major PTSD. Like, understandably. Yeah, she's gone through a lot. So she ends up being there like one night to recover. Okay. Mm -hmm. And while she's there, her roommate is talking in her sleep about wanting to tell Joey that she loved him. So she's talking to her doctor and has like the most inappropriate conversation with him on two levels. First of all, 
She tells him that she had a really bad night's sleep because of her roommate. And the doctor just like spills all of the tea about the oh, yeah. son and like how he got into a deal with the mob after oh, his man. father had been killed by the mob boss and the boss felt bad. So he kept offering to help them out, which she adamantly declined. As someone who works in the medical field now, like this is such a massive it's, violation of HIPAA. It's, it's a such a wild. massive violation. <laughs> It's a massive violation. It's so inappropriate. Like, <laughs> like, like I was sitting there and I'm like, I don't know. Like I, hmm. <laughs> the other thing, the other thing that was super, super inappropriate was that beside the complete lack of doctor patient privilege is the fact that he was actively hitting on her, her doctor, oh, yeah. the doctor who had treated her. That is so against the doctoring codes. That's so against the medical codes. Oh, it's so bad. Okay, so first of all, like, I am not a doctor, okay? I'm like a mutant technical writer that works for a medical company. The amount of training that I had to go through about, like, harassment and HIPAA, it's, oh, God, okay. Anyway, that yeah, was a that was no, a day that I'm never so... getting back in my life. <laughs> yeah, having having training like that for my previous job and like, you know, <laughs> nope. same thing, you know. <laughs> so Dazzler decides that she's going to go find Joey and tell him the message from the lady, you know, even though the yeah, lady okay. didn't actually ask her. So she ends up tangling with the bad guy and knocking out all of his visual sensors in the tank it's the mob boss and sending him off a pier and this other guy who had been introduced as the blue shield was like dead set on tearing down organized crime from the inside and so he was like working with the mob boss but like like just to get intel i guess whatever then he'd go and like fuck up the stuff after he knew about the it, it, it was weird at any rate he was like basically like a vigilante cop. That's that's how it felt. Yeah. He doesn't want the boss to actually die, though. She did send him off a pier, and, like, he's in the tank, so he's, like, gonna drown. And she's just like, oh, okay, well, I don't know how to save him, so I guess, bon voyage. Yeah. And he's like, oh, no, no, no. And he, like, jumps in and saves the mob boss and, like, hands him over to the authorities. And he asks how Dazzler got involved, and she tells him about the message that she had for Joey. And the next scene is the blue shield visiting his mother in the hospital because he's the motherfucking Joey of message. Dazzler sees that somebody is visiting the woman, but doesn't know who and leaves the hospital with Dr. Call me Paul (laughs) with one of the other nurses thinking that Dazzler wasn't a good match for him. Like not because he's her doctor. That's not the reason. (laughs) Like this is such a recurring theme with her too, is that like they keep on like pairing her up with people, whatever I, mm. Okay. <sighs> yeah, it's almost like they didn't know what to do with women in comics. Almost. Weird. So strange. What did you think about the villains that were pitted against Dazzler in the first few issues? Like, do you uh, think they were a good match for each other? Um, I don't know. It feels like they were just trying to have some big name guest stars in the issues to grab attention. Yeah. And I get that because, you know, relatively new character with a new series, which, as you pointed out, was the first direct sales comic that marvel had done it also feels extremely forced because there's no prior relationship with these villains like don't get me wrong having the enchantress go after dazzler because dazzler beat her at an audition for singing at a popular nightclub pretty funny (laughs) yeah but it's also weird just about every other major marvel hero of the era shows up 
and gets more page time fighting the Enchantress's minions. And yep. And Enchantress is also a major villain from Thor. She's kind of on a whole other power level from Dazzler at this point. And it's the same with Doctor Doom, though it was admittedly pretty funny watching Dazzler kick his armor with her magnetic roller skates. But yeah. You know, he wasn't one of her villains and she wasn't on his level. I got to say, like, right. her dad seems pretty fucking villainous. Like, yeah, seriously, make that the plot line. Like, because they have this whole bit where after he rejects her, he like, you know, goes and hangs out in his massive fuck off library for like. Yeah. I was like, oh, so are we going to get him turning into like some villain? No, I think he's just an asshole. OK. Yeah, he was like six taxidermy deer heads away from being a villain. Yeah. Why do villains always get the really rad, like, you know, libraries for brooding with the massive fireplace and the fuck off easy chair? I'm like, I want that. Is this my villain origin story? Do I just really want a nice library? You can, like, smell the mahogany when you look at those (laughs) pictures. (laughs) Yeah. I want people to smell sandalwood and mahogany when they see me. That'd be nice. Right. Well, what were your feelings on a potential Dazzler Human Torch? mashup like we know that dazzler didn't want to play ball but do you think he would have been a good romantic partner for her regardless Uh, i don't care like i just she doesn't need a date and the human torch was basically just kind of like a fiery ladies man like honestly what this story really needed was to like show her having a bunch of one night stands but the comics code at that era wouldn't have allowed for that right right we got something like that actually during dan slot's run on she hulk for like around 2004 i think and and that was actually pretty solid i like the way they handled it but that could have been a nice addition to the story where she's like my career isn't working out like i thought it would my love life isn't either i'm just kind of getting meaningless hookups when i want something more but yeah, I could not give two shits about her dating Johnny Storm. <laughs> Although it could be funny if she had a one night stand with him and then he's just like following her around like a lost puppy dog. Like, and she's just <laughs> like, oh my God, go away. It was just a fling. That actually, I could see that being pretty funny. But yeah, I I don't care. <laughs> like, <laughs> You're so funny. I mean, clearly Dazzler and the Beast was like the love story for the ages, right? Like, (laughs) obviously, obviously. Oh, my gosh. God, that fucking series. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of people that she hooks up with, she ends up with long shot for a while. Yeah. You know, like like you said, they're always trying to pair her up with somebody. I mean, so when they did that, like they also did a whole thing where she was like apparently pregnant and then. She went away, and then if I remember right, she came back, and then there was, like, no mention of her kid again. All they said was, like, oh, well, she doesn't, she's not pregnant anymore, but they didn't discuss it for years. And I think they finally figured it out where they revealed that Shatterstart from X-Force was her kid eventually, but, like, it was a whole convoluted thing. It was gross. Right. Exactly. So let's talk about Dazzler the movie. (sighs) Okay. Which was, <laughs> unlike its title, it was actually a graphic novel. It was number 12 in Marvel's graphic novel series. Mm-hmm. It's by J- it, it, James, James Shooter. By James <laughs> Shooter. They were trying Frank to make it like, more prestigious. I swear, it's so weird. And I know, right? And Vince Coletta, 
Lettering by John Morelli, coloring by Christy Scheel, Ra- uh, editor was Ralph Macchio, editor-in-chief, again, James Shooter. Jimmy Shoots, trying to play it up. Yeah. And this was published in 1984. By the way, this went for six ninety five. Yeah, the graphic novels were like kind of prestige formats. And if I remember right, they came with like kind of glossier pages. So they the colors still pop even now. And they were like magazine size, if I remember right. Right. They are. Yes, I actually have it in front of me. Yeah. Yeah, I actually ended up purchasing. Well, I was supposed to be purchasing the entire run through two different kind of lots. And then one of the the lots was supposed to have three comics that did not actually get shipped to me. Oh, really? And I have not received an email back from that person. So Ooh. I assume that I am just not going to get those three comics. I'm just going to have to buy them separately, which they're not going to be expensive comics. But mm, it, it's annoying because <laughs> I yeah. thought I was going to have all of them. <laughs> so this graphic novel follows Dazzler, of course, who is still wanting to get into the Hollywood scene, but knows that she has to keep her mutant abilities to herself since there was a huge outpouring of hate being directed towards that community. She's working in a health club, leading a fitness class, and has new gigs singing in a nightclub. While she is leading one of those classes one day, she is approached by one of the patrons named Eric Beale, who asks her out. She says, I can't date members. Sorry. Turns him down. He then purchases the club. Yeah. Stating he's changed the rules and that she can go out with him now. So she turns him down again. There was that one guy also who was like just talking with her while she was working out. And it's like nerdy guy. Yeah, this nerdy guy. And she like basically goes out on a date with him to escape Beal. And then she kisses him and then gives him some self-confidence. And he seems like a sweet but nerdy guy. And right. And then that's it. We don't ever hear from him again. Right. So she ends up meeting a man named Roman Nicobo, who is a big a big wig in the film industry and is basically like a middle-aged, balding, and chubby man. Yeah. Definitely not truly up to par with how amazing Dazzler is, in my opinion. Yeah, he wears a girdle. Yeah, he does. And a toupee. So he tries to push himself onto Dazzler after their first date. She had also turned him away, but not before he physically assaults her, breaking a bunch of her furniture. And he ends up using her for articles in the Scandal magazines and promising her a role in the film opposite him. And then talks her into dating him for real eventually. Yeah, it's kind of like he wears her down. It's very much a weird power thing. It's very yeah, strange. Yeah, it's a power thing too. You know, he's like, I have all of these things to offer you. And it's like, it's I bought very you a much... new house. Exactly. Exactly. Like he's really love bombing her is what he's doing. Yeah. She falls into a life of heavy drinking, smoking, and partying, and one day finds that she doesn't recognize herself anymore. She's also, at this point, told Roman that she's a mutant, after which point he goes to the media. So she now feels like she has to prove a point, and they start making a movie about her being a mutant called Dazzle the Movie. Mm-hmm. And she does all of the stunts herself, and once the film is complete, she finds that the whole thing had been orchestrated by. Eric Beale, who has basically made it so that she has to sign a contract with him in order to make any sort of money or stay in the business. 
and starts scheming about how much Dazzler the movie is going to make him. So Dazzler ends up blasting the only copy of the completed film mm-hmm. and then goes back to Roman. Yeah. So, Mike, one thing I really wanted to talk about was that this was a different format. This was a graphic novel. This was not our monthly comics code covered comic. Mm-hmm. And it had a totally different vibe. Yeah. What did you think about the shift in how this character and her story were presented? Ah, uh, I liked parts of it. I thought there were parts that were really interesting, like the grossness of Hollywood and all that. And then, yeah, you know, more and, realistic in that sense. Yeah. And, and the whole thing with like, you know, the dude who's been love bumming her and like eventually manages to forcefully seduce her. But there's a heavy amount of, um, well, it's sex, but it's, it's sex where it's the equivalent of like a TV movie where it's like they shift it's over implied. to the window that's, you know, got the curtain blowing in the breeze or something. Right. And so, like, in this, it's like, oh, they have, like, a, a door that's closed, and you're like, oh, okay, so that's where they're they're knocking boots. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And they show that she actually instigates sex sometimes, which I thought was pretty bold right. for the time. Yeah. At the same time, she's still a character who things happen to most of the time. Yeah. And I didn't love how some of the plot threads were just introduced and, like, never returned to again. Right. There's the whole thing where they sit there and they have her looking in the mirror and she's like, oh, I'm fat. And I'm like, you look identical. <gasps> she she wasn't fat, everyone. She was not fat. I was yeah. really irritated about that, too. As somebody who's really struggled with, like, who has been overweight her a lot of yeah. a lot of my life. Like, that, I was I saw that and I was, like, so pissed. I was like, God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> If you're fat, what the hell am I? <laughs> I thought it was interesting. I thought they did a couple of neat moments where they show her like showcasing her full powers where it's a whole thing where they're like, you know, creating the sound with like airplane rotors and then the screams of the crowd and everything else. And then she makes it all silent because she's absorbed it all. Yeah, there there was some neat stuff. I thought I thought the art in the series was gorgeous. Yeah, because it was different yeah. than the art in the comic series for sure. Yeah. And I actually really enjoyed that they brought Bill Sankowitz back to do covers and yeah. his covers for this are legit works of art. Like everything that he touches is a legit work of art, but yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I liked parts of it. I thought the bit where she blasted the movie was pretty clever. Yeah. I, I think that, in this series, Allison is unfortunately still someone who is portrayed at times as overly naive and is willing yep. to let the world act upon her rather than right. than handle things herself most of the time. And the only thing that really proves the impetus for her to take charge is she's like, I'm fat and gross and I don't like it anymore. And so I'm going back to who I was. And I was like, mm, OK, yeah, it's it. It's not a great message. Yeah, and then there's the whole bit where they show they show the X Men. She has another call with them, and it's literally calling Storm. And again, it's the same thing of, "Oh, are yep. you ready to give up on your dream of being a singer?" I'm like, "Motherfucker! Like, did you not learn last time?" <laughs> All right. I don't think Storm knows any better. She thinks she's helping. <laughs> she thinks she's helping. Yeah. Yeah. There. There were quite a few more recent articles written about how Dazzler and her concept exist in the real world. This feels way more gritty, mm-hmm. especially after the Me Too movement, which, of course, oh, happened yeah. long after this graphic novel was published. 
but it still strikes a chord in a lot of ways. The stories that are told today are the same stories as Dazzler, that of coercion, of in you know imbalanced power dynamics, about how it's so incredibly difficult mm-hmm. to try to live, let alone thrive, as a woman in the world, and more specifically, the entertainment business, and the patriarchy that surrounds all of this. Dazzler had so many moments in both her comics as well as the graphic novel when her choices and her autonomy were completely removed and she was forced to perform so that others could succeed, stepping on her along the way. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a really good analogy, not only for being a woman, but for being queer in this society. Mm -hmm. As, you know, of course, being a mutant is a metaphor for that. Right. Because society at large only wants to see a shine as long as they don't have to see the real reason that we do so. So, Dazzler the movie appeared after Dazzler issue number 34, and Beauty and the Beast was published after issue number 35. So that's why it seems so sequential Yeah, when we look at that. Beauty and the Beast, he rolls up on a theater poster that's been torn down of Dazzler the movie, which we know now didn't actually go out. Nobody actually saw that. Mm Mm-hmm. So she dabbled in some other comics, like several other issues of the Avengers, as well as with the New Mutants, and she was in The Secret Wars, Mm -hmm. which The Secret Wars are coming out, everyone, so let's just take a think about that for a minute. And the Dazzler series ends with Beast asking Dazzler to join his new team, which was a pretty obvious plug to their next project. That brings us to today. Dazzler has appeared recently in the Dark Phoenix film, but her appearance was actually cut to just a scene, just one single Mm. scene where she was seen using her powers at a party in the woods. And it was supposed to be set in the 90s. She's in her regular, like, 70s, incredibly 70s looking Dazzler. Oh, really? With her full makeup. She looks super fucking out of place. I didn't see that one. She was supposed to have a longer scene. I didn't either. But I did read that she was supposed to have a longer scene than she actually did. And she was supposed to appear a little bit more than she did. I didn't watch Dark Phoenix. I watched the intro for Apocalypse when I was at, like, Costco one time. And I was like, this Mm. looks like trash. I was like, this just looks weirdly cheap and dumb. And I was like, I think I'm good. I don't need to see this. So that brings us to current day. Because like I said, they are doing a Secret Wars, which she did show up in. So there is a chance that she's going to show up in that. Yeah, they've also started to introduce the concepts of mutants in the MCU. Like, you know. Right. Yeah. Right. And there have been several articles about how there could be plans for bringing Dazzler into mm-hmm. some other things. So okay. nothing solid, but there was an article that I had read talking about how, like, a potential appearance, just an article back from 2022. So, you know, we never know. And because I was speculating, and this is where Jake and Jesus might be a little proud of me, I was speculating about Dazzler's first appearance, which already the comics do go, if they're nice comics, they they can go for over a hundred bucks yeah. if they're a nice copy. But I have a feeling that she's going to get a little bit bigger. So I actually sought out a nicer copy of her first appearance. Mm-hmm. 
and I'm doing me a little speck. And we'll it. see if uh, I'm going to get that cleaned and grated. I'm going to slab it. Nice. It's going to be my first one I'll ever do that with. But, I'm excited for you, uh, man. Pretty excited. Yeah. I also bought a second copy of Dazzler number one just in case. Mm-hmm. That's a nicer copy that I might get cleaned and slapped. And I haven't checked that one yet to see if it's another one of the error variants, but I know I have at least one of those. That's cool. I like that a lot. Yeah. So outside of that, we did see Dazzler in a few other things. So she appears in X-Men, Pride of the X-Men, voiced Which by I want to talk about. Stoddart. I totally oh. want to talk about this sometime soon. Okay. You got very excited. You hit yeah. something. <laughs> okay. Sorry. So- that's okay. So she was in X-Men the Animated Series, voiced by Katherine Disher. She has a minor non-speaking appearance in Wolverine and the X-Men as an inhabitant of Genosha. Mm-hmm. And Hulu intended to air a Tigra and Dazzler animated series written and executed by Erica Rivenoha and Chelsea Hidler. Following their series, mm. the pair would have teamed up with Modoc, Hitmonkey, and Howard the Duck mm. in the animated special The Offenders. And unfortunately, in December 2019, the entire writing staff was fired due to creative differences. I mean, so, Modoc was really good. I watched yeah. I watched Hitmonkey and it wasn't great. I don't know. Okay. Right. Yeah. So also in the early 1980s, screenwriter Gary Goddard was commissioned to write a script for a film based on Dazzler, starring Bo Derek. No oh, shock interesting. There. Right. And she was also in some video games. So she was mm-hmm. a playable character in X-Men, in X-Men Madness and Murder World, in X-Men 2, The Fall of Mutants. She was an NPC in the PC version of X-Men Legends 2, Rise of Apocalypse. Okay. She had a cameo appearance in Felicia's ending in Marvel vs. Capcom 3, Fate of Two Worlds. She appeared in Stern Pinball, Deadpool, voiced by Jennifer LaFleur, appeared as a playable character in Marvel Puzzle Quest and in Marvel Future Fight. And she also appeared in Marvel Snap. Yeah, she's got a solid card in Marvel Snap. I can confirm. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. She showed up in a lot more places yeah. than I truly anticipated for her to do based on, you know, I, I really didn't know who she was. And that was kind of the consensus, too, in some of these articles I was reading where people were going in and seeing old episodes of Dazzler and the kid behind the counter ringing it up being like, I've never heard of this. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. Well, that is about it for our main topic. We've delved pretty deep into this. Yeah. You want to you want to shimmer our way back to brain wrinkles? Yeah, I think so. All right. Well, we have reached brain wrinkles, which is that one thing comics or comics adjacent that is just sticking in our noggins. So, Mike, what is it for you this week? Yeah, like I noted before, we are recording this at the end of the weekend of San Diego Comic-Con, which means that we are recording this just after the Eisner Awards took place. And honestly, there was a lot of great news this weekend. Cape and Cowl Comics over in Oakland won an Eisner for their work as a retailer. New friend of the podcast, David Boer, was nominated multiple times. Yeah, which was awesome to see. Yeah, and then the- Very deserved. 
Yeah. And then the big news for me was that the nib won this year's Eisner for best anthology. And that felt really special. Boop, 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 boop. I've talked about this before. The nib is the only place that I ever had a comic published. And earlier this year, they announced that they're shutting down in August, which, yeah, I mean, it, that was just gutting to read because they tell such great, important stories in comic format. And while that's still a really kind of sad note, this is a nice footnote to the end of the nib story, I feel. You know, yeah. it's just people recognizing what an amazing publication it was. Yeah. So that's really sweet. Yeah. So that's that's what's been stuck in my head for the last day or so after this happened. Um, what about you? Mm, nothing quite as pleasant, unfortunately. Well, you know, one of us always has a downer. It's okay. I know, I know. Well, mine this week, of course, I'm thinking about the writer's strike. Yes. And we are still in the middle of the writer's strike. And, uh, and I want to say we fully, and sag exactly. We fully support everybody who's striking. I'm not making any, and we, we as a, a podcast and as well as individuals, we're not making any content for things that are being struck right now. We're mm. not crossing that picket line. And we, again, fully support the efforts to, you know, be able to make living wages. This is not a hard concept. I mean, the CEOs are making hundreds times more than the regular people working. And, you know, it it feels a lot like Dazzler of all of these people benefiting from you know, somebody else's work. Mm-hmm. And it's really frustrating. I mean, it's, we're in late stage capitalism. I, I know this is something I drive home all the time, but it's so frustrating to see how far these companies are willing to go. And they're saying the quiet parts out loud. They're oh, yeah. saying out loud, we're going to wait until they can't pay their bills anymore and they get evicted. We're going to wait until they can't buy food anymore and they have to play ball with us. Mm-hmm. That's horrific. Yeah. You have these CEOs sitting on a yacht somewhere, hopefully being attacked by orcas, if there's any justice in this <laughs> world. Like, God save the orcas. But, you know, it's just like we have these people who just don't give a goddamn about these people who are making them the money. Yeah. And we need to have people paying their fair share. We need to have people paying taxes. And we need people being able to have access to basic human necessities, like a roof over your head and mm-hmm. healthcare and food and security, just security of person. So that's really what I've been thinking about. It's really disappointing that we're still dealing with this. And, you know, I don't see any end to us dealing with it. There's always going to be somebody being oppressed in our society, it seems. And that's really frustrating. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, that's my wrinkle. On that happy note. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, yes, that that is it for our episode today. So thank you for joining us for our deep dive into Dazzler. We will see you next week with a dollar bin discovery. And then the week after that, we have a really special episode. Yeah. Right? 
Yeah, yeah, we have a yeah, that's the one. And we have a really special episode because speaking of David Boer, he was so delightful. He came on our show. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Eisner Award nominee. He like graciously came on the weekend before Comic-Con. None of us had thought about Wild. this when we were planning out the dates. And he was just like, no, I think all of us collectively went, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what happened. I read the email. I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> yeah. So, but he was very nice to come on. He was an amazing guest. And we're, I mean, we've already planned to have him on again because yeah. we got to do the other half of what we were planning to do. So that's, I don't mind hanging out with him again. He was great. Yeah, no. And we are talking about Fright Night, both the the classic yes. movie and its comic book series. We are indeed. So check it out. Check out our past episodes. And you know what, guys? Until then, we will see you in the stacks. Thanks for listening to Tencent Takes. Accessibility is important to us, so text transcriptions of each of our published episodes can be found on our website. This episode was hosted by Jessica Frazier and Mike Thompson, written by Jessica Frazier and edited by Mike Thompson. Our intro theme was written and performed by Jared Emerson Johnson of Bay Area Sound. Our credits and transition music is Pursuit of Life by Evan MacDonald and was purchased with a standard license from Premium Beat. Our banner graphics were designed by Sarah Frank, who's at lookmomdraws.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, ask us questions, or tell us about how we got something wrong, please head over to tencenttakes.com or shoot an email to tencenttakes at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter for now. The official podcast account is tencenttakes, all one word. Jessica is Jessica Witha, and Jessica is spelled with a K. And Mike is Van Sau, V-A-N-S-A-U. You can also find us on Instagram, Mastodon, Facebook, TikTok, and Blue Sky. A full list of our socials will be listed in the show notes. If you'd like to support us, be sure to download, rate, and review wherever you listen. Stay safe out there. And support your local comic shop. 